0: Yeah. and I are going to be out of town next week, and I'm I'm really going to be out for several days, so I'm really not going to have time to prepare, so Connor's going to take over next week, and Isaiah, and he'll go for about four weeks, so that's that's what we're going to have for next week, so that'll be great. Uh, All right, we are in chapter 41 of Isaiah today, Uh, chapter 41 and... Indeed, we've been in this mode for a while, but chapter 41 and others uh, show God's uniqueness and His Lordship over history. And so, you know, God is asking, well, who's doing this? Who raises this one up? Well, I mean, I do. So, you know, God's telling us these things. Uh, There's a movement here in chapter 41 from the general to the specific. For instance... The Deliverer is mentioned in chapter 41 verses 2 and 3 but at the end of chapter 44 and the beginning of chapter 45 this Deliverer this Redeemer is revealed as Cyrus. As Cyrus the Great. So Isaiah not only has prophesied the Babylonian captivity right, obliquely but now he's prophesying the return from Babylon also that Cyrus is going to come down and and do this, and indeed, as we read and help me here, which is, uh, which book is it? Nehemiah was cupbearer to the king. Who was that? Was Nehemiah. And you know, yeah. and Cyrus says, "Well, okay, yeah. take some Jews and and here's some money, and go on back and start rebuilding the temple, yeah, and the wall and all that, yeah." So Cyrus really does that in terms of getting the Jews back into the land. Um, Another uh, general to specific theme is that God is the Savior of Israel and then He's the Savior of the whole world. So, all right. So let's read a few verses in 41 then. Listen to me in silence, O coastlands. Let the peoples renew their strength. Let them approach. Then let them speak. Let us draw together. Let us together draw near for judgment. <laughs> Who stirred up one from the east whom victory meets at every step? He gives up nations before him so that he tramples kings underfoot. He makes them like dust with his sword, like driven stubble with his bow. He pursues them and passes on safely. By paths his feet have trod. Who has performed this and done this? Calling the generations from the beginning. I, the Lord, the first... And with the last, I am He. Alright, so in verses 2, beginning at verse 2 then. Um, well, in verse 1, He's inviting the nations to come together in judgment. And let's uh, let's have a judgment between ourselves. And I mean, of course, I mean, I guess God presents judgment in various ways. Like, you know, who is right and who is wrong. Who has foretold these things and who didn't? So let's have a judgment here, and it's sort of like Job, you know. I mean, let's enter into judgment together and see really who created the universe and who named all these anim- who who pre- created all these animals and so forth. Was it you or was it me? And you know, so we enter into into judgment here with God. Uh, so in verse two, I, I'm going to say that I, I think this is Cyrus here who. This one stirs up one from the east. God stirs up one from the east whom victory meets at every step. He gives up nations before him so that he tramples kings underfoot. And so on. I think he's talking about Cyrus the Great here who was king of Persia. And eventually he overthrew that Babylonian rule and then it became Persian rule, right? The, the big Persian kingdom. So. Do you think that
1: the world believes that... Um, Jews retroactively added Cyrus's name there. Oh, a lot of
0: scholars do. Yeah. Because they don't, they can't believe in predictive prophecy, oh, yeah, or at the least mm, they don't okay. believe in prophecy.
1: Yeah. So. So if ever we were to find those scriptures dating way, way back before the time of Cyrus, it would stun the secular. Oh, that yeah, Oh, that would be st- that would be stunning. But like
0: they would explain it away yeah, because they don't want to right. believe. Yeah. So <laughs> all right. <clears throat> so verse three and then verse four, talking about Cyrus and these this these nations, who has performed and done this, calling it generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, that would be Yahweh, the first, and with the last I am He. So who has done all these things? And sending the Jews into captivity? And raising up Cyrus to bring the Jews back into the land. Who has done this? Exactly. Yahweh says, well, obviously it was me. And so, uh, obviously it's Yahweh. So Isaiah here has foretold the Babylonian captivity, and now he's foretelling the redemption from captivity. All right, verse 5. The coastlands have seen and are afraid, the ends of the earth tremble, they have drawn near and come. Everyone. Everyone helps his neighbor and says to his brother, Be strong. The craftsman strengthens the goldsmith, and he who smooths with the hammer, and he who smooths with the hammer, him who strikes the anvil, saying of the soldering, It is good. And they strengthen it with nails, so that it cannot be moved. Now, verses 5 through 7. The nations now are trembling at the approach of Cyrus the Great, predicts Isaiah. So what do they do in their fear of this oncoming invasion? Well, they build some idols. That's what they do. And Isaiah is just really being sarcastic here against these idol builders. Notice how the craftsmen of these idols say, it is good, in verse 7 there. He says with the soldering that he's, you know, putting these metal parts together and so forth, says, boy, this is great. This is great craftsmanship here, you know. It is good. I have heard the phrase, it is good, before in the early chapters of Genesis where God creates and he says, it is good. So, now, as usual, we see man trying to become God, and what does he create? Idols. (laughs) Idols. (laughs) <laughs> so, Sorry. so man is creating all these idols. So this is man, the creator, idols, idolatry, and Isaiah is just being sarcastic about all this. You know, he's just putting these people up to ridicule and so forth.
2: It's, it, it's interesting that people that have, I think, more artistic bent to themselves tend to have a much harder struggle with ego than just maybe regular people because they're you know, they're creating stuff.
0: Because what they make is so great. Yeah, right? yeah,
2: and they're and they're pursuing excellence whatever it might be and they're trying to do the best they can with it. And so they can look back and say, Wow look what I did. And uh, and so it's you have to fight as an artist, you one of your worst battles is fighting ego. Well I have read well, somewhere in the theater for- you got people applauding you too. Ah scenes on and a misunderstanding what a poor musician performing. That's right, yeah, I know. Yeah, you're out there, people are crazy. So I'm sure with these guys, are probably they're probably great craftsmen. Oh, I'm sure. And seeing their craft. Oh, I'm craft sure. And, man, that's, this is great. This should be in a museum. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah,
0: uh, that's true. Well, okay. So Isaiah is being sarcastic about all this idol-making. Well, where do I want to go with this? Well, Okay, let's go on. Verses 8 and 9. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from the farthest corners, saying to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you off. So now, Israel, God calls his servant. This is the first use of the word servant in the book of Isaiah. Um, The Hebrew word is abad here, and and, uh, that's what it means, servant. There's a cool last name in Arabic. Some Arabs bear the last name of Abdallah. It's abad Allah, which means servant of Allah. That's what it is, Abdallah. So Abide is servant. So Israel now becomes God's servant. As we've uh, mentioned before, uh, this points to Israel's continued evangelistic purpose and their prophetic purpose in bringing the worship of Yahweh to the nations. I, I, I've really, I've, I, as I've, I've been reading through Isaiah, this has become more clear to me. It wasn't this clear before that the real uh, message uh, of Israel in Old Testament times was monotheism—that Yahweh is God—and and, I mean, there were so many hundreds, I guess, thousands mm-hmm. of idols. I mean, out in the world, and each nation, probably each community—I mean—had its own idol, or maybe even household. I don't know. It was he just filled with God, idols. Huh? Of, Say again. It's
2: each person. And each person about. may have their Bring own little household idol. Yeah. Well, well, coming out of Egypt, bringing their little idols. Yeah, so yeah. Yeah. Up, so. yeah. They may even carve them themselves. Oh, sure. Abraham is called
1: his friend here yes. in verse 8. There's a di- there's, yes. an in- there's an interesting contrast between servant and friend in John 15. You know? right. If I could read I'd it call to you. You yeah. are on. my friend. Wow. You do whatever I command you. Henceforth, I, I call you not servants.
3: Okay servant
1: knoweth not what his Lord does. Beautiful. But I have called you friends for Be- all things that I have heard of my father have made Well, no. no. You're
0: beautiful. That's a contrast. Thank, no, thank you. Yes. Well, okay. And Abraham, the friend of God, then. All right. Uh,
3: if, I, if I may say. Yes, right? please. This is going to be a major theme going forward. Pay attention to this for the whole rest of the book. Who is the servant of the Lord? Yeah. That's that is this whole rest of the book is about that. Mm-hmm. So track this theme as you're reading it on your own, because that's going to be the question. When you get to Isaiah 53, who is the servant of the Lord? Yeah, we'll This whole see. chapter after chapter is leading up to Isaiah 53.
0: Alright, very good.
3: Who is God's servant? That's the question.
0: Okay, verse 10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. This is a verse that people have memorized some, as I recall. Um, Behold, all all who are incensed against you shall be put to shame and confounded. Those who strive against you shall be as nothing and shall perish. You shall seek those who contend with you, but you shall not find them. Those who war against you shall be as nothing at all. For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not. I am the one who helps you. So he's encouraging Israel here. Verse 14, fear not, you worm Jacob. Yeah. This is interesting.
3: Yes.
0: You men of Israel, I am the one who helps you, declares the Lord. Your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. So, verse 14, fear not, you worm Jacob. Perhaps this is looking, I don't know, perhaps this is looking back to Psalm 22, verse 6, where Jesus says, I am a worm and not a man. So there may be an identification here of Jacob with the coming Messiah
1: Um,
0: the word redeemer down in the last line of verse 14 your redeemer is the holy one of Israel that Hebrew word is goel, redeemer and it shows up for those of you who like biblical numerology um, 13 times in the book of Isaiah yeah so, 13 is the number of Christ standing in the midst of his 12 disciples. Yes, he's the 13th man. All right. So, the Redeemer shows up 13 times in Isaiah. I always find this to be pretty cool when I'm looking, looking at numbers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, let's look at 14 again. Let's see here. <clears throat> yes. Yes. In the middle line, I'm the one who helps you, declares the Lord. Declares the Lord is the phrase num Yahweh. Num. I'm not not an expert in Hebrew. I'm just, there's about three words that I know. Okay, so I'm just throwing this out here. Num is a word that precedes a lot of prophets. When the prophets speak, it'll say something like num Yahweh. Amos, or something like that, and a lot of times it's translated. I think in King James is the burden of Amos, and so this is Amos's burden. Like Jeremiah said, I, I've got to get it out. It's like fire burning up in my bones. So this is the burden that Jeremiah's bearing here, but until he can get the prophecy out, right? It's the same word here. Uh, declares the Lord. So. And my point basically is this is kind of a prophetic. It's prophecy. It's kind of a prophetic utterance. But in this case, from Yahweh. So this is the prophetic utterance from Yahweh. And the next line is, your Redeemer, and that's the first use of that word, is the Holy One of Israel. So, and we're given more information here. I mean, the Redeemer of Israel... Is the Holy One of Israel. And as Connor's saying, well, who is this servant that we're talking about here as it goes on through? So now we're going, you know, so now we're getting on this trail here of identifying the servant. I think he probably used Holy One of Israel. He does. He uses it again. So it's the Holy One of Israel that's coming to save Israel. Okay, so that's where we are. Does anybody have any... I'm just babbling away here. Does anybody have anything mm-hmm. so far?
2: Well, you part, part of it. You was know, studying just <clears throat> the voice of God. The ultimate for us as His children is that God would speak something to us that He means for us to speak to someone else. Okay. And that is difficult. <laughs> that is difficult because now you're, you're having to trust that God has given this to give to someone else and now you you are held responsible in a sense. Yeah. So, you know, just as just as responsible as, as God is. Yeah. You know, in the sense but that's what ultimately that's what God wants. That's what God that's why God gave us a mouth and ears and breath to be able to repeat what he is saying. Mm-hmm. To hear what he's saying and repeat what he's saying.
0: Yeah. Well, this was the burden of the prophets. I mean, they had to, they had to repeat.
2: Yeah, and that, that is that, I mean, there you want to get every word exactly right. You know, so <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, yeah. It's not easy. It's like these scribes trying to read, you know, write out the Bible. You know, every mark, correct? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, but to speak it out is much, even somewhat more complex.
0: And we've we've argued this before, which is why, for instance. When Pastor Nick preaches, I mean, it's a kind of prophecy. Yes. Not that he's predicting necessarily the future, unless he's doing something in like the Book of Revelation, maybe. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, he's saying what God says, so that's what prophets do. This
4: is how this is how the Puritans saw it too. That they they call preaching prophesying. I mean, okay. this, is, this is
2: part of their understanding of the word of, of pro- proclaiming scripture. Okay. Yeah, there's foretelling and foretelling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then and the the foretelling way, is where yeah. it really gets complicated. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that's how they understood the difference too.
0: Thank you. Good.
2: That's why so many, there are so many, especially the ones that are more Calvinistic, tend to believe there is no longer any foretelling by
0: Christians. Well, a lot of the Calvinists, of whom I am one, but a lot of the Calvinists don't believe that spiritual gifts are operative. Anymore. I
2: know. I know. That's, that's, what's, that's what's sort of I don't uh, I don't disheartening about Well, you
0: know, I told my partner that I travel with, I mean, he's a wonderful guy. I mean, you know, he's very biblically literate. But he he doesn't believe that, that spiritual gifts operate anymore. I said, well, look, Manuel. I said, have you ever been talking to anybody and they are having a problem and somehow this word of counsel just comes into your mind and you give that to them? He said, yeah. I said, well, that's called a word of knowledge, man. <laughs> <laughs> okay? And he said, well, we prefer to call it special, uh,
1: what did he call it?
3: Special, Revelation.
1: Uh, no. Uh, Revelation. And, yeah. Certainly sure, so, it comes from prompted by the Holy well, Spirit. Well, certainly. <laughs> I like the Well, certainly. About the certainly. I, it's been described that the Holy Spirit's. Flame is put right next to the spirit, our spirit, that's know, what and then it'll right. flame up sometimes I think that's to lift right. up our spirit. And, and it just seems well, that's like that's the whole, that's that's what that's what the whole
2: purpose of Jesus saying, "I go to send you the Holy Spirit, I know. Who, who who will allow you to do greater things than I've done." So yes, I found, so. I remember
0: yeah. the word. So Manuel said we prefer to call it special providence. Okay, yes, so, right. Well, that. I mean okay, mom.
1: <laughs> yeah. let's call it
0: special providence. So, yeah.
1: so you can say, well, what makes it special? Yeah. <laughs> you you could just said, you're so special. <laughs> <laughs> Go, Go ahead, Greg. In verse 10, is, it says, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Very good. And it's the right, right. hand. And I know in uh, Mark, uh, let me get it here, 16, 19, It says, uh, so then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. Do you think that's related? Certainly. Because Isaiah is rather specific.
0: I would think so. I would think so.
4: Since since we've already invoked both Cyrus and uh, chapter 53, somewhere along here uh, he uses the word anointed for Cyrus. For
0: Cyrus, yeah.
4: Simon. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we've got kind of both Advents in, in view, um, and, and Cyrus was the kind of Messiah that the Jews were looking for who would restore them to the land. Uh, but you got to have the suffering servant yeah. the first. first.
3: Well, very good. Connor? Just piggybacking off of what Greg just said. It, this may be splitting hairs, but I think it's important that the word hand is not in this text. What it says in both verses, in verse uh, 10 and 13, is I will uphold you with my right side. What that means, I'm not sure, but the side of Christ is significant in the okay, story of okay, yeah, the not? Gospel. Okay. Oh, supposed to be the wrong side. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: this uh, word study... Dictionary says, yamin, a feminine noun referring to a hand, a right hand, the south.
0: Yeah, yamin means the so right, right side, side is, yeah. or the right.
1: Well, it's the right side, yeah, It's the side of Christ.
3: The, the, the church verse yeah, fourth yeah, yeah. that we come from the side of Christ, yeah. Yeah. which is also true. And when they heard. stabbed Christ on the cross, they
2: stabbed him on the heart side, I guess, which is
1: the left side. He's really particular to say the right there and to say the right hand of God in Mark too. So just, it just, I wondered if they were related. Well, whether it's hand or side, maybe,
0: maybe. Well, let's go on. Uh, where are we? Verse 15? Uh, fifteen. Fifteen. <clears throat> yeah, throat> and, and God is talking to Israel again through the prophet Isaiah. Behold I make of you a threshing sledge new sharp and having teeth you shall thresh the mountains and crush them you shall make the hills like chaff you shall winnow them and the wind shall carry them away and the tempest shall scatter them and you shall rejoice in the Lord and the Holy One of Israel you shall glory now the worm Israel shall do valiantly evidently because God causes it to be so uh well let's talk about ourselves a little what about the Israel of God today us shall we do valiantly well I think so uh, I mean I don't, I don't know but you know the gospel is still going out through the church and I might make bold to say that through us here at Christ's community the gospel is going out I mean I don't know everybody's story and everything but you know, from time to time, we do have opportunities to share the gospel uh, with people, and uh, so we keep doing it. And uh, or I mean, whatever we do, I mean, the whole fruit of the spirit—you know, feeding people, all kind of stuff that the church does to to lift up Christ. So I think so. Well,
2: be, just being being the presence of God, especially if we really begin to understand that wherever you are. You're bringing, Absolutely. Know, bringing Christ into that place. Absolutely.
0: So, so. Well, uh, uh, Chris and I were talking about his new job today, and and he's uh, of a of a mind that there may be some uh, dirty talk going on from time to time at his workplace. And Jim has to deal with this all the time, every day. So guess what? Jim has become an odd person at his job, and everybody knows where Jim is coming from simply by his
2: behavior. They start getting in trouble, they're going to come to you. Oh, absolutely. Oh, sure.
0: (laughs) Does God have a word for me about this? Well, sure. Yeah. So here we go, you know, the church. We're still, uh, God is still using us. Uh, even though we might not think so. (laughs) But he is. Uh, Okay. Verse 17. When the poor and needy seek water and there is none and their tongue is parched with thirst, I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open rivers on the bare heights and fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. I will put in the wilderness the cedar, the acacia, the myrtle, and the olive. I will set in the desert the cypress, the plain, and the pine together that they may see and know, may consider and understand together that the hand of the Lord has done this. The Holy One of Israel has created it. So we're going from a uh, uh, physical description, I think, and I, I suspect true in a certain way, when Israel was regathered back from Babylon, I wouldn't be surprised if the land wasn't pretty much a desert, I mean, pretty much ruined and stuff. But then, sure enough, you know, it begins to bloom again. Spiritually speaking, I mean, devotional writers use this all the time, you know. There's a devotional book that was published for years, it may still be published, called Streams in the Desert, you know. And uh, it's a devotional book. And uh, so, what these words are saying is that God can make us thrive even in bad situations. So, uh, you know,
2: if, uh, when we come into Christ, we, behold, we are a new creature. Yeah. All, all things begin again, in a sense. And that could be a daily activity where each day, the night before you die, Christ, that we become alive to Christ again in the next day. So we have, we have this sort of regenerating constantly going on in our lives. It's true. So that, uh, as we face whatever day it is, you know that man,
3: God will constantly It's true.
0: Constantly. Amen. All right, anybody else?
3: What do you make of him you know, basically saying that the, the church is the instrument of God's judgment? Yep. What do you mean?
0: Where does he say that? Well, that's what a threshing sled is. Yeah, yes, yes. It's a judgment tool.
3: It's like like an early tractor.
0: Well, I mean, it is what it is. I mean, as pagans, you know, continue to fall and fail and live a life of ruin, and the church, or let's put it this way, the Christians, are not living that kind of life. I mean... I'm not causing a I don't think so. I'm not causing a pagan any problem. But there's just a difference. I mean, they're headed toward ruin in the next life, and many of them in this one time being. I mean, also, sorry, that's Spanish. <laughs> <coughs> also, uh, but I'm not. So there's just a difference here. So you
3: think just the, that being revealed, the contrast, is I, itself a kind of... I think that's, of thing? that's
0: the way I would see it. Yeah. yeah. I don't feel like I'm at war necessarily with, with, with pagans or unbelievers, although they may feel like I'm at war with them, but I mean, I don't sense that I'm at war, but maybe they do. David, you got any insight on that?
2: <laughs> well, the, the point, the, the tragedy is that there are a lot of people who have the, the name of Christian attached to them, and they're not actually living it out. So, right. so it's the thing that God hates more than anything else, and that destroys the relationship is hypocrisy. Wow. And that's what Jesus came with the Pharisees and Saturday, that he, he loathed them. So, <laughs> wow. And, uh, and so that, I mean, for us, we need to really realize that when we start slipping into I'm better than you, or I know <laughs> more than you, or I got something better than you, I mean, you know, the next thing you know, we start becoming hypocrites. Sees it because the devil is going to make sure that they see it. <laughs> yeah, we're and we're going honest. through that as a church now. As, a, as, a, as the you know, I mean, all this exposure of pastors taking advantage of people and you know abusing children or whatever it might be. I mean, we're seeing abusing women. We see it. It's being it's being brought to the forefront more and more right now. And mm-hmm. the church is it's causing people to want to leave the church. So, his
0: winnowing fan is in his hand," yes. says King James.
2: It's, it's tragic, yeah, but in a sense, it's not. The judgment starts with the house. There and you house. go. And, uh, and so we well, got to, and to clean up your house. That there you go. Is to clean up our house. Well, amen. Your house. All right, well, yeah. man, get the vacuum cleaner out here. It was so yeah. <laughs> oh, you're yeah. right.
4: You probably would not have been lost on Isaiah's audience that the temple was built on a threshing floor. Okay, very good. Jesus ties a cord and and beats beats out the corrupt worship. Wow, excellent.
0: Yeah, very good. All right. Well, maybe the Lord will give us more understanding as we go along. Uh, Hey, you don't have to understand everything. It's okay. We don't understand everything. Uh, Look at verse 20 again then, and these streams in the desert. In verse 20, that they may see and know and may consider and understand together that the hand of the Lord has done this. The Holy One of Israel has created it. So when Israel is regathered from Babylon, they should know that the hand of the Lord has done this. It's not because they were smart and so forth. Uh, As we are worshiping Christ in glory after our deaths, we should know that we weren't smart to do this. It wasn't because we were intelligent that God put us into Christ. It's because He gave us faith that put us into Christ. Yes. So we're put into Christ by faith, not by being smart. Right. So we need to know that. So in verse 20, they may see and know and may consider and understand that the Lord has done this. The Holy One of Israel has created it. So if we want to spiritualize the text a little bit and talk about streams in the desert, so that could be, I mean, whatever situation you're in, I don't know. But, I mean, you may feel like, well, I'm, in, I'm really in a spiritual desert or whatever. And maybe you are. But somehow God can give you some relief, I yes. think, in that desert. I mean, He can produce life for you, which may overflow to other people. Who knows? I mean, God can do this. So that would be kind of a spiritualizing reading of this, these verses here. Go ahead, Jim. I'm
3: just thinking about the sovereignty of God. <clears throat> uh, the Bible talks about evil abounding in the last verse. <laughs> evil wow. is abounding. Wow.
1: It is growing. It's multiplying. And it's not something that uh, God is in control of that. And at some point, he will give us uh, his joy. Yeah. We're hearing people cursing every moment. Oh, cursing all the time. And I have time. joy the Lord. I'm still happy doing my part. <laughs> so I can't change anybody. No, sir. Have faith. I can't no, sir. Faith. You cannot. Only God can do that. You cannot change. I'm it. to love my
2: neighbors and my enemies. Yeah. But only God
1: can do only.
0: that. Only. And you can't make these guys talk right either. No. No. You can't do it.
2: Well, we get, we, I think this is where we get confused as Christians. We think our job is to save people. Okay, so it's not our job is not to save to be, people our job is to love people that's right and to okay. be a witness you know, God, it's God's job to save people yeah. that's so very job good job to love them love them and mm-hmm. if, if you think your job is oh man i got to save all these
0: people
2: oh yeah. you're
0: going to be a bad savior i <laughs> under <laughs> <laughs> the, the pile a little bit yeah. yeah along with them
4: yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah if I could uh, go backwards a little bit in uh, verse 19 okay uh, one of the trees mentioned is the myrtle. Uh, in Zechariah, uh, in That's his right. vision, there's a prince on a horse right. among the grove of myrtle yes. trees. And mm. the ancients took the myrtle to be uh, a symbol of the church, particularly in Zechariah. Really? In that grove. Okay. Christ, Christ among his church. How about that? Are
1: these great myrtles along Parkway? I don't know. Yeah, what they
4: are. They are yeah, they great myrtles.
3: you planted?
1: Two, yeah, two, it doesn't two, matter. Yeah.
4: <laughs> is there a fruit from them? I don't. Know. Just flowers. No, flowers. Uh, the word for myrtle in Hebrew is Hadassah. Really? That is Esther. That's Esther's name. name. Yeah. How about so, that? So Esther is and a she was picture a of the church, oh uh, and we see we can see that here in Isaiah uh, by by thinking of the Gentile lands as being dry and arid. A desert of faith. Mm. And yet he gathers together the myrtle along with all these other trees. So his people is now an amalgam of all sorts of different nations, tribes and nations.
0: Very good. Very good, Greg. Thanks. All right, let's go to verse... uh, uh, Well, let's go to Verse 21 twenty-four, set forth your case, says the Lord. Bring your proofs, says the King of Jacob. He's talking about the idol worshippers now. Let them bring them. Let them bring them and tell us what is to happen now. So these idol worshippers and these pagan prophets, really, God is saying, "Well, okay, let's come into judgment now here and prophesy a little bit. Uh, tell us what's going to happen." This is God talking. Tell us the former things, what they are, that we may consider them, that we may know their outcome, or declare to us the things to come. Tell us what is to come hereafter, that we may know that you are God's. Do good or do harm, that we may be dismayed dismayed and terrified. Behold, you are nothing, and your work is less than nothing. An abomination is he who chooses you. Wow, this is hard language. So we're back to the court case now. And he wants to bring the false gods and the idol worshipers into judgment here. Uh, And uh, he is, uh, let's see here. Uh, Well, he's been talking about creation. uh, And now he's talking about prophecy. So, okay, well, let's hear a little prophecy, says God, from the pagans. Sometimes pagan prophets do have some true things to say about the future but uh, I would say we need to be careful in dealing with pagans I mean sometimes demons can say some true stuff but we need to be careful we need to take a long like spoon if we're going to have lunch with the devil uh, like
4: <clears throat> the girl in pardon me like the girl in yes yeah.
0: there you go <clears throat> there you go
4: Uh
0: So verse 23, do something, anything that we could be terrified, says God. Uh, Verse 24, Behold, you are nothing, and your work is less than nothing, and abomination is he who chooses you. So those who choose the idols become like the idols. Are those who choose false gods become like the false gods? Are those who choose Christ become like Christ? We would hope maybe before we die we could be maybe a little more conformed to the image of Christ. In fact, that's our whole task, you know. I don't know how many years you've been saved, but I've been saved a long time, man. I mean, I'm talking about more than half a century. More than half a century. And where am I? Well, I'm not like Christ. But, I, but, I, but uh, hey, but, but God says, well, keep on going. I mean, this is the whole thing. More like Christ, you're more like Christ than when you started. Oh, I guarantee you for the, that man. <laughs> I guarantee you that.
1: <laughs>
0: to his, well then there you go. So there you go. Well so we keep we keep moving on. <laughs> we keep moving on. All right. Uh let's see, verse twenty five. Did anybody have anything else? No. Well, twenty five. Here we go again. I Yahweh is speaking, I stirred up one from the north and he has come from the rising of the sun and he shall call upon my name. He shall trample on rulers as on mortar as the potter treads the clay. Again, it seems to me this refers to Cyrus. Who can make this kind of predictive prophecy many years before it comes to pass? Only God can. I mean, it's not so much that Isaiah is making this kind of wild prophecy. Amazing prophecy. I mean, God's giving him this. God, Isaiah can't just think this up. I mean,
2: Repeat it. Yeah,
0: he's repeating what God well, says. So the
2: captivity hadn't even started. I know. Captivity's hundred years. Yeah, old. I know. <laughs> yeah,
0: I mean, this is way few, out in the future.
2: It can like uh, you know, for people that are working with clay and pottery. Yeah. You know, they, they have to knead it, uh, kind of almost like flour, like dough. They they have to knead because they have to get all the air out of it. Yeah. <laughs> because when you put it in the fire, it'll yeah. It takes a tremendous amount of force and power and time to just keep squeezing the stuff. And then they have machines that just roll it in and flatten it out. Do it again and over again. I mean, it's, it's going over and over again just to make this clay where it's not going to explode when you put fire into
0: it. Well, you have anticipated the second half of verse 25. <clears throat> All right, let's read verse 25 again. I stirred up one from the north, and he has come. From the rising of the sun, and he shall call upon my name. I think this is Cyrus. He shall trample on rulers as on mortar, as the potter treads the clay. <laughs> So Cyrus is going to get all those air bubbles out, man. (laughs) Well, okay. Again, this refers to Cyrus, I think. Who can make this kind of predictive prophecy many years before it comes to pass? Only God can do this. God says, I stirred up. This is a past tense verb here. Sometimes it's called the prophetic past. In other words, it's a past tense as in it's so secure that God treats it as past. Although it's so many hundreds of years out in the future, it's a done deal. Yesterday is today is tomorrow. There you go. Uh, this is this is the prophetic past. That is, although this is a future event, it is treated by God as already past. Prophetic past.
3: And you said this is about Cyrus.
0: I think it's about Cyrus. In verse twenty-five, I stirred up one from the north.
3: Cyrus wasn't it. Well
0: well but also from the rising of the sun is the Which next is line. The yeah. yeah. North <laughs> north, uh, northeast. And actually it is it oh, isn't God. somewhat in the northeast. Actually, Persia is. Okay. Yeah. That just struck me as odd that
3: it said from the north. Well,
0: let's call it the northeast then. Okay. Split the difference. Twenty six. Who declared it from the beginning that we might know and beforehand that we might say he is right? There was none who declared it, none who proclaimed, none who heard your words. Who can make these kinds of predictions? I mean, only God can make these kind of predictions. I mean, I know the prophets speak it, but God's given it to them. They can't come up with this stuff. Uh, I mean, we could go anywhere here. Um, I uh, we got a couple of minutes. Let's just look at some wild predictive prophecy that only God can make. I have uh, the book of Daniel, chapter 2, verse 1. Let's just take a look at Daniel. This is amazing predictive prophecy. Daniel didn't come up with it. Oh, over here, isn't it? Uh, Let me find it. Daniel, chapter 2 verse 1 now as you remember God gives Nebuchadnezzar this amazing prophetic dream Nebuchadnezzar doesn't have a clue so he's calling for the wise men right um, so well let's see here well we don't have to read the, you know the story Nebuchadnezzar has this dream he calls the wise men in he says if you can't interpret this dream I'm going to kill you I'm going to kill everybody in your family. I'm going to pull your houses down.
3: Not just interpret it. Tell it.
0: Not just interpret it, but you've got to tell me what my dream is. And some scholars are in difference here. I mean, did Nebuchadnezzar forget his dream? Maybe, and maybe he was asking that. Didn't Nebuchadnezzar know his dream? And he was testing out his wise men to see if they could really do anything. That may be also possible. Uh, so you know that story and then uh, going down to verse 25 here we go therefore Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon he went and said thus to him do not destroy the wise men of Babylon bring me in before the king and I will show the king the interpretation then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and thus said to him I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, no, beautiful. I can't do anything. No, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or astrologer can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. This is impossible. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in the bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in the bed came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living. Look at this. I mean, Daniel was a man of God, but he's saying, I'm not particularly wise. I mean... Anything that I can say is what God has given me to say. I mean, I'm not coming up with this stuff. But in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind, you saw, O king, and behold a great image, this image mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron, partly of clay, As you looked, the stone was cut out by no human hand and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floor. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. And you know the story, and Daniel goes ahead and explains what this vision means about the history of the world, really and the coming of Christ, the stone that was cut out without hands, and he destroys this great mountain, and, that, and the stone becomes a great mountain that fills the whole earth. So Christ and the gospel of Christ become a great mountain and fill the whole earth. So that today, I'm not sure this is right, but I would almost think, we're getting close, that among every ethnic group and every language group, there are probably some believers. This may not be totally true, but we're getting close it will be true before the end comes alright that's Daniel's prophecy now who could do this I mean nobody could I mean who could even think of this kind of dream you know? nobody can do this so it's only God that can do this and that's God's point I think and Isaiah's point here
2: Daniel was very wise
0: <laughs> yeah <taking> no <laughs> alright let's finish up and we're going to be done this is back in Isaiah 41 verse 27 Uh, and God is saying I don't really understand this but it's okay I was the first to say to Zion behold here they are Mm -hmm. it's the words of God yeah, and I gave to Jerusalem a herald of good news But when I look, there's no one. Among these, there's no counselor who, when I ask, gives an answer. Behold, they're all delusion. Their works are nothing. Their metal images are empty wind. So again, it's a slam against paganism. The metal images of the pagans are empty wind. Interesting that God made this amazing prophecy to Nebuchadnezzar with a metal image in his dream. But of course, Nebuchadnezzar being a pagan, Thought that he should recreate the metal image and make everybody worship it. And <laughs> so we the book of Daniel goes on. All right, that's what I have for today. Be encouraged by the prophets. They're fantastic. Uh, I'm neither a prophet nor the son of a prophet. All I can do is just read what the prophet says. Well, so.
2: part of what I'm, I'm sure our job is to listen to hear what God says,
3: to heed what God says, obey what God says and
2: to do very good. we can learn that
0: formula <laughs> life be a form
3: of
0: So let's be a, let's be about it. Very good. Thanks
3: for your work, man Thanks, man. Thank you.